Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So we started a series called Take Courage, Take Courage. And the reason why we say that is because of what Jesus said of why we should. There's lots of alternatives to taking courage. There's the alternative of taking worry, taking fear, taking anger, taking resentment, taking bitterness. There's all these other ways in which we can, when it comes to the things of this world, that we could take instead of taking courage. And Jesus tells us about this life, right? He tells us about something that, well, we already know. I mean, he says in John 16, he says, in the world you have tribulation. I mean, I've said this every week. We, we could go around and spend the rest of our time together talking about, you know, your tribulations and your challenges and your struggles and your difficulties and your pain and your loss and your grief. We could, we could go around the room and you could preach a sermon about that and, and we would all just feel bad and, 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 you know, think, man, wow, I thought I had it bad, but man, do they have it bad. Uh, I thought I had to go some struggles, but I didn't realize how much other people have struggles. The truth of the matter is we all have them. We all have them. We can all agree whether you believe in this or don't believe in following Jesus or whatever your, you know, ideologies are or, or you know, whatever your, your belief systems are. All of us can all agree that we live in a world of tribulation. And Jesus said, hey, I want, I want you to in that. I want you to take courage. I want you to take courage. And why, he says, he gives us the reason why. Because I, he says, I've, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the, the tribulations, and I've overcome the, the battles, and I've overcome the suffering, and I've overcome the, the loss, and I've overcome the tragedies, and I've overcome the things in this world that, that seem to get us down and to make us discouraged and make us feel bad and get us upset, you know, make us lose our tempers. And, and he says, I, I have the solution to that. I've overcome the world, and you could take courage knowing that. So the, for the last few weeks, we've just been talking about reasons why we should take courage. And, and really, it was sort of this, sort of this farewell uh, speech or you know, this farewell conversation that Jesus had uh, with his followers um, to say, hey, guys, listen, take courage, and here's why. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be leaving you for a little while, um, you know, but, you know, and, and they didn't quite grasp and understand why he was going to be leaving them. And, and, and their hearts were troubled because he was telling them that they, he was leaving them. And, and all of these things that they were experiencing, things that we experience when it comes to this life, troubled hearts. And, you know, he's saying, but listen, guys, you know, you can, you can take courage because I've overcome the world. And so we've just been looking at ways in which we should do that. And, and in this farewell speech, and John, you know, the, the apostle John is, is writing this stuff down, writing this information down um, so that it can be shared with us thousands of years later. And, and we can know us thousands of years later of why we in today's culture, in today's day and age, why we should take courage as well. So it's not really certain as far as at what point 
um, Jesus started this prayer, but Jesus starts praying. We don't know if it was sort of like it, while they were still in the upper room together, which started in John 13, you know, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. If this was sort of the closing prayer that Jesus gave, you know, before they headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, but it, or, or some think that it was on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus uh, just starts praying. He starts praying. He starts having a conversation. And it was, cert, it was right after Jesus tells them this, you know, John 16, He says, in this world you have tribulations, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I mean, and that was the, the, what, the last thing that he said until he started then praying to his father. And in that prayer are two essentials. In that prayer are two essentials to understanding God's plan and God's purposes for your life personally. In this prayer, is, it, I believe, is what will help us know what it means that even in this world of tribulation, that you can be an overcomer in this world today. Like not like when you and I leave this earth and go to heaven, then we're going to be ex experience the fullness of being an overcomer over death and the grave, though that's going to happen. But what Jesus is saying is that if, if they just apply these things today, like today, right now, on Palm Sunday, uh, you know, of 2021, that they can experience and see and know the perfect plan of God for them. But they've got to today decide that these two things are what I'm going to make a priority in my life. And so Jesus begins his prayer, and, and it starts in John 17, verse number one. Jesus spoke these things. What things? In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, or, be, or, or take heart, or take courage. I have overcome the world. He says, and Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. In other words, my time is, is coming to an, uh, where the reason why I am here. That my time is coming to the purpose of why you sent me to this earth. My time is come to the place where I now am going to make the sacrifice for, to, to atone sins. This is what Jesus is saying. Verse 2, he says, Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I've, you've given me authority, you know, to atone for sins so that those who put their faith in me, those who put their belief in me, not those who, you know, work for, for it, not those who behave best for it, but those who put their faith, those who believe, can know what it means to have eternal life. Then look what Jesus says. He says this. He says, this is eternal life that they may wait. So he's saying, okay, you're like, I know, I know this is eternal, my, eternal life that they may have a mansion in heaven. Or, or that they may walk the streets of gold. Or that they may, you know, see and experience the crystal seas. Or that they may have and attain all of their treasures that they stored up in heaven from what they did in, on earth. Or that they may get their crowns 
right, if you were here last week, that they may get their crowns of rewards given to them. Now, all of that is true. All of that is true. But that's not what Jesus said next. Look what he says next. That they may know you. You mean better than mansions and better than streets of gold and better than crystal seas and better than treasures stored up and better than crowns that we're going to get as rewards of, of the good things that we do? Better than that, you and I get to know him. We get to experience him. We get to take in the beauty and the majesty and the might and the power of our creator. You and I get to know him. What an experience in eternal life. We make it about us. We think, oh, it's about the treasures. It's about the heaven. It's about the mansions. It's about the streets of gold. It's about the people that will clap us into heaven when we get there. You know, the great cloud of witnesses. Oh, well done. Great job. Commendations. All. Listen, it is not. Eternal life is not about that. When you, get a get, when you and I get to eternal life in heaven, if you believe in Jesus, when you get to eternal life in heaven, you're not going to care about the applause. You're not going to care about the pat on the back. You're not going to care about the commendations. You're not going to care about the rewards. You're not going to care about the crowns. You don't even, you're not even going to care about your house. You're like, that's cool. That's grace. That's amazing. But I get to know you. And I get to be you. And my faith is now sight. I get to know you better. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. He says, that th he says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, and he, he goes on to say this, the only true God and Jesus Christ him, whom you have sent. You see, that's the payoff. That's the payoff. Better than treasures, better than rewards, better than homes, Better than re being reunited with loved ones. The payoff is that we get to experience and to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That idea of only true God is a familiar phrase. And the familiar, where, where we, where we, uh, where we've seen it before, maybe you've heard it before, if you're, especially if you've grown up in church, is that you've probably seen it in a conversation that Moses had with God, when, when God came to Moses and said, hey, I want you to deliver my people out of captivity. And then Moses was like, I don't know, God, I don't, I'm not qualified. You know, I haven't, you know, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm like number one's most wanted man in, back in Egypt. Like, I don't know if it's a good idea for me to go back there. Um, but, you know, and, and, and finally Moses said, okay, God, that's fine. But when I go, on, on what authority or what should I tell them about who sent me? And God's response to Moses was, and you, you know this in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now that's an interesting phrase, I am I, that, who I am. And, and what that was translated was, or what that meant was this. It's, it, it was, I am, it means Yahweh in Hebrew, <clears throat> or Jehovah in Latin. And that, is, that means, or Yahweh in Hebrew, or Jehovah in Latin, you've probably heard these before, it means infinite, creator, unchanging, unequal, incomparable, everywhere, and knows everything. 
just to name a few. So when God tells Moses, hey, tell them I am who I am, this is what Moses was relaying to them. He's Yahweh. He's the only true God. That's who he is. If you speak Latin, he's Jehovah. He's infinite. He's creator. He's unchanging. He's unequal. No one can compare to him. He's everywhere, and he knows everything. That's who he is. So when Jesus comes along, Jesus starts saying things to people. And John, uh, where we've been looking at over the last few weeks, the author, John's been recording these things that Jesus is saying that is basically describing himself as God. And he's using that statement or that phrase, I am, I am, I am. And as a matter of fact, one time Jesus was almost stoned to death because Jesus made this statement. He says this, Jesus says this in John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they started picking up rocks and wanted to put Jesus to death. Why? Because Jesus was claiming that he was God. Because he was God. And he says, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. And John started writing down, and John wrote down seven different times that Jesus described himself as the great I am, as the infinite creator, unequal, knows everything, is everywhere, you know, incomparable. John started writing down all these times that Jesus said, I am, I am. And so you've heard these before. So Jesus would say, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. In other words, I'm the one who provides. I'm the one who provides. I'm the one that gives, is going to give you the substance that you need every single day. When, when they heard that Jesus would say that I'm the bread of life, here's what they knew. That, that they knew this. Every single day, Jesus is going to meet my need. Every single day, Jesus is going to help me. Every single day, Jesus is going to provide for me. When they heard him say that, they heard him say, he provides, he provides. Jesus also would say this. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. So when they hear that, they heard, he's the one who guides. He's the one who illuminates. He's the one who exposes things that are in darkness and brings them out to the light. He's the one that guides us in in, in that way. That's what light does for us. It guides us from stumbling. It guides us from bumping ourselves, you know, when we're in a dark room. That's what Jesus, when they heard that, they they thought to themselves, he guides, he guides. Jesus said, I'm the door. I am the door. And when Jesus taught that, he was teaching them that he's the one who brings, he's the one where you can find refuge. He's the one where you can find shelter. He's the one when the, when the trials and the storms and the challenges of life, that you can be in Jesus because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's the one that will provide shelter and refuge for you in a stormy, dark world that we live in. He's the door. He says, I am the door. He also said this, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm, I'm the one who protects. Oh, when the wolves come in and they want to take the sheep, I'm the one that's going to protect them. 
when the enemies come in and they try to steal away your joy and your and, and the and your God's purposes and plans for your life, he says, I'm the one that's gonna protect you. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. I'm the resurrection. Jesus is saying, listen, listen, not only do I want to resurrect you spiritually, not only do I want to take your dead spirit and bring it back to life again, which is the miracle that God did in in us, but when we put our faith in Jesus, that our spirits were once dead, but Jesus came, offered the atoning sacrifice for our sin, conquered death in the grave, and he said, listen, I am the resurrection. Anyone who believes in me will not die, but will have eternal life. He's the resurrection. So, in other words, he can resurrect your dead spirit, but also he can restore your dead or broken relationships. He can restore your your dead or broken habits or addictions or struggles. He can redeem and he can restore all things in your life. He can do that. That's what he wants to be for you. That's why Jesus is saying, I, I am. I'm infinite. I'm creator. I'm unchanging. I'm, I'm, I'm in charge. I have all the authority. I'm the one who provides. I'm the one who guides. I'm the one who shelters. I'm the one who protects. I'm the one who restores. He's, Jesus would say this. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm, I'm leading you. I want to be your leader. I just want you to follow me, and I'll lead you. Just like a good shepherd leads his sheep to greener pastures, that's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to lead you. And John wrote down the final one that Jesus would say. And Jesus says, I am, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. I want to produce something in you when you're connected to me, when you're a branch and connected to the vine, I want to produce something in you that you couldn't produce on your own. And so Jesus is identifying himself as the only true God. And this is the characteristics of the only true God. He provides, he guides, he shelters, he protects, he restores, he leads, and he produces in us. Isn't that good news for all of us, everybody? Come on. We'll take it, we'll take it. On this Palm Sunday, let's be excited about the fact that we can know this God. Let's be excited about the fact that we can grow in, in a maturity of understanding who this God is for every single one of us. The greatest reward of eternal life is the fact that we get to know the great I am. And when you say, I can't do it, I don't know if I can get through it, I don't know how to work through this issue or this battle or this struggle, I don't know who's going to help me out. And you know what God is shouting from heaven? I am I am. If, I, if, I, if, if you can't deal with this problem or you can't work through this issue or you're not wondering where your shelter is, G Jesus is yelling from heaven, I am. I am. Come on, this is, this is our God. This is our God that we can know today. We can know today. So Jesus goes back to John 17. So Jesus is saying, listen, 
I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, that name of the great I am, that I am the door, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All those things that Jesus Jesus is going, I manifested your name. I made your name known to those who wanted to receive it. And then he says this. Skip down to verse 11. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Now, Jesus is saying, Father, he's praying. Remember, he's praying, right? Father, my prayer is that you keep them in your name. In other words, I, my prayer is that people stay in the life of understanding that he is the one who provides. He is the one who guides. He is the one who protects. He is the one who gives shelter. He is the one who meets needs. He is the one who restores. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, listen, I, I, I want them to just, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your name. But then he goes on and say this. Next verse. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the, in, in the world so that they may have my joy and my joy made full in themselves. So Jesus is saying, listen, not only when you keep them in your name, but they're going to have, the, my joy is going to be made full in them. They're going to have the fullness of joy in them. But then he says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. In other words, here's what, here's what he's praying. Father, Father, keep them in your name. In other words, Father, keep them understanding and knowing and believing that you restore, you protect, you guide, you lead, you, you, you meet needs. God, keep them in your name because there's an evil one who's going to want to tell them that there's another way. Because the evil one doesn't want you and me to know him. He doesn't want you and me to experience his provisions. He doesn't want you and me to experience that he guides, that he leads us to greener pasture. He doesn't want you and I to, to know or to experience the fact that he's the one who is our refuge and he's the one who is our strength and that he's the one who restores. The enemy just wants to pull you out of his name. And Jesus is saying, God, I ask you not to take them out of this world, even though wouldn't that sometimes be a better option for some of us? Like, wouldn't that be sometimes a, a, a better thing to say, God, I know you. I put my faith in you. I believe in you. Why can't you just let us go to heaven now? God, why, why, why do we have to endure this, this tribulation and these hardships and these trials and these battles and these struggles? God, why? Why the wait? Why the wait? And here's why Jesus would say, he says, next verse, 
They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so he's saying, listen, listen. I want them to do what I came to do. I want them to do what I came to do. I want them to be, I want them to, for, for them in their areas of influence and the people that they have in their life, I want them to be the ones who proclaim and to manifest the name of Jesus. That, that we're to be in our areas of influence and the people that we have in our life, the people that we live with, the people that we work with, the people that we do life with, that he says, I want them to see in you how you manifest the name of Jesus, that you show that he is truly the one who provides, that you show that he truly is the one who guides your life, that you show that he truly is the one who restores, that you show that he truly is the one who leads you, that nothing else leads you in this life, and that nothing else in this world compares to knowing him. Knowing him. So Jesus then prays this. And this is the first essential. Jesus then prays this, and this is so important. Look what he says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says this. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. You see it? So he's saying, listen, just like you sent me, I'm sending them. And I want them to manifest who I am. Who should I tell them who sent me? Maybe you're saying like what Moses said. Who should I tell them who sent me? And you can tell them, tell them I am who I am has sent me into my world. And I want you to know that there's a God who provides. I want you to know that there's a God who gives shelter. I want you to know that there's a God who meets your needs. I want you to know that there's a God who restores. I want you to know that there's a God who wants to lead your life. I just want you to know that there's a God who is real, who wants to bring real change to you. He sent you and me into this world to manifest his name. But the thing we have to do, look what he, so um, next verse, verse 19. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also be sanctified in truth. Now, I know, sanctified, you know, what in the world does sanctified mean, right? <laughs> you hear these words and maybe you've been in church long enough to know what sanctified means. But here's, here's what it simply means, okay? Sanctify means to be set apart, to be set apart. And so what, what Jesus is saying, first essential, essential number one, what Jesus is saying that we need to sanctify ourselves in truth. Sanctify ourselves in truth. And then he says, my word is truth. Sanctify myself in truth, my word is truth. So I brought an illustration with, with me. Probably spent a little bit too much time on it. So, Here's, here's what this looks like. So we've got work. I'm trying to help the people online so they can see this too. You know, we've got uh, money and materials. Thank you for your help. We got our relationships. Okay. 
We've got recreations and hobbies, okay? Hopefully everybody that are watching online can see this, okay? So this is what we, this is our world, right? This is the world that we live in. The world that we live in, money, materials, those are things that we experience. The things like work, you know, things like relationships, our, our hobbies, our recreations. Like these are the things that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. None of these things are bad things. These are good things. This is just a part of life, right? Right? We, we work. We make money. You know, we have possessions. You know, we, we do recreational stuff. We have hobbies. But here's what happens oftentimes when it comes to what the enemy wants to do, the evil one, what he wants to do in our life. What he wants to do is that he wants us to get attached to these things. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to make these things a priority in our life. And so we start thinking about our job, you know, our work, and we think, man, you know, I've got to work more hours, you know, and then I've got to, I've got to make sure that, you know, that I, that I, you know, move up on the corporate ladder and I have a better position and then, and then I get prestige and I get recognition and then people think that I'm great and all, you know, all these things. And, and so it's so easy that the world gets us to believe things in our life that are not bad things, but they can become bad things when we make much of them or when we make them a priority in our life. And certainly of our relationships too. Like when it comes to our relationships, there's, you know, people in your life that you chose to put, bring into your life. And when you chose to bring in, in, them into your life, it's easy for those people to try to meet every need or every desire that you have. And they'll never be able to do that because they're just people. And then there's people that you have to care for, your kids, and you have to make sure, you want to make sure that they have a quality life, and you have to make sure that they're involved with things, and they're a part of, you know, society, and they, and they have fun, and they laugh, and they get exercise, and all these things that we, we want, and we, and we make them so important to, to our lives that we become so attached to them. And so this is oftentimes what happens, and so we all, same thing applies to, you know, our hobbies, when it comes to our hobbies, our recreation, we just start attaching ourselves to these things. You know, the things that we, we enjoy, recreational stuff, sports, you know, hiking, you know, exercise, you know, art or whatever, that, whatever it is for you. All of us begin to attach ourselves to these things. Our money and our possessions, we think, I just need more. If I'm, if I'm more, I'll have more contentment in my life, you know. If I have, own more things, I'll, I'll, I'll feel like I've achieved something or accomplished something. So what the enemy wants us to do is the enemy wants us to attach ourselves to these things. He wants us to make these things in our world the most important things. He wants these things to become our priority. He wants these things to become our purpose. And ultimately, what we think is these things in our world will satisfy or will fulfill, and they never will. And you've experienced this enough. You've experienced that, you know, there's just not enough money to make us happy. That our relationships are just never seem to be good enough to make us be fulfilled. That our work, it doesn't matter how much time we put into our work, that it just never seems to be enough. And every time that we, even when we climb up the corporate ladder or earn a position, it still doesn't meet the need. 
when it comes to our hobbies, our recreational stuff, the things that give us personal pleasures, the things that we run to when it comes to escapes in our life, they never seem to meet the need. And so Jesus is saying to us, listen, I understand about this world. I get this world. I get the enticement that the evil one wants to get you to believe about money. I get the enticement what the evil one wants to get you to believe and find purpose in your work or find out your identity in your work. I get the, the enticement of what the enemy wants to believe when it comes to relationships and what relationships are supposed to do and fulfill in your life. I get what the enemy wants to do when it comes to your recreational stuff, your escapes, your hobbies. I get what the evil one wants to get you to believe about these things, that these things will enlighten you. These things will give you the peace or the serenity that you need in this life. But Jesus is saying, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to set yourself apart from these things. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job or not take another paycheck. It doesn't mean that you don't get your hook caught on your pants. I, I'm telling you, these things really latch on there. I mean, these things really get a, a, a hold on us. And, and, and that's what the, the, the evil one, he, Jesus is saying, listen, the evil one wants us to get us to believe that these things will fulfill and satisfy and they never will. And so Jesus is saying, listen, Father, I pray that my followers will sanctify themselves, set apart in truth. And so what will happen is, is that when we set ourselves apart, pardon me, online viewers, I'll be back in a second. We take a hold of the word. We take a hold of the word. And we get our lives, our lives in line with the word, with truth. And so when we set, set ourselves apart from the world, we say, okay, I'm going to take a hold of truth or the word in my life. And so I'm going to bring the word into my work. And I'm going to bring the word into my relationships. And I'm going to bring the word into my finances and my possessions. I'm going to bring the word into my habits. My habits. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, uh, habits. I, I watch too many movies. Into my hobbies or my habits, which equal habits. But I'm going to take truth into, I, Jesus, is, he didn't say, like, stay in the word and completely separate yourself from these things. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. My word is truth. And as, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And so the way that we think about relationships is based on the word and what the word teaches about relationships. 
And the word has a lot to say about relationships. If you want to read about marriage, if you want to read about, you know, being a parent, if you want to read about being, a, you know, a child growing up in a household, if you want to, you know, understand what it looks like to be a friend to somebody, what it looks like to be a, a companion or a partner with someone, like the word as truth for you when it comes to relationships. The word has a lot to say about work. The word has a lot to say about what you do at work. The word has a lot to say about what you should, how you should think about work. Just, just one off the top of my head, the, the scripture teaches that we should think about work as if we're working for the Lord. That my job isn't just my job about working for the Lord. Your job is also about working for the Lord. That's the way that you and I need to see the, our, our work. You're like, I don't like my work. I don't like the people that I work with. Well, that's where God has you. You got to have a job. Thank goodness that God gave you a job. And you should think about your job in terms of, hey, God, if I'm not working for that guy. I'm working for you. And I'm going to do my best to do the best job that I can at this job. And I'm knowing that I'm just working for you. And then all of these things apply. God, what do you want me to do with my money? What do you want me to do with my stuff? What ways do you want me to think about these things? Oh, you want me to think about them in terms of our, my generosity? You mean the more that you give me, it's in terms of not hoarding or building or accumulating? That you mean it's more about being and having an opportunity to meet a need? It means it's more about an opportunity to use my money and my materials as a resource of being generous to meet a need for somebody else who has a need? And I'm telling you, when you think of those terms, then you're going to experience fulfillment and satisfaction and blessing in your life. When we think about it in terms of greed and self-attainment, you know, not. Recreation hobbies. Listen, play a sport. Have fun. Do an art class. Knit. Make basket weave, weaving things. I don't care. Do whatever, whatever it is that you do. You do it, and you work, and you do it the best as you possibly can, and you make it about God, and you make it about his glory, and you make it about the opportunity and the talent that God has given you to do what you want to do. You see the difference? He says, you know, essential, essential is sanctify yourself in truth. My word is truth. Take the word into your world, and you'll see a difference. Don't, don't attach yourself don't attach yourself to the things of this world because they'll just tie you down and what will happen is is that will they'll tie us down so much that we can't even get to the world or to the word we can't even get to it it will tie us down so much it will restrain us so much from being able to get to the plan and the purposes that God has for us Jesus said set yourself apart set yourself apart Take the truth of the word and take it into your world. Just like the Father sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world. Set yourself apart. And that means, <laughs> that means you gotta get into the word. You gotta get into the word. That means you gotta, you're like, I, I don't know how many people have said to me, I, I, Pastor, I don't understand it. Do you know that's exactly what you should say? That's a, that's a great first step. I don't understand it. Did you know that we have dozens of people around here 
that would love to help you understand the word. All I try to do with these silly illustrations is to just to get you to understand the word better. I spent way too much time on this illustration yesterday <laughs> with just, yeah, thanks. No, stop. Oh, yeah, that was, just to try, just to try to teach you what it looks like to sanctify yourself in truth because his word is truth. There's so much opportunity and options out there. Get yourself in the word so that you know how to live a life and manage your money and manage your work and manage your recreation and your hobbies and manage your relationships so that you know how to do that. That's the plan of God for you. That's why you are sent into this world to show a difference of what it should look like when you take the word with you. The second one, and I'm running out of time, but I, I don't think it needs a lot of time anyways. But John 17, verse 20, says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those also who believe in me through their word. So in other words, what, what he's saying is, He's like, he's praying for you and for me. He's, he's, he was praying for his, his disciples, but he's also now praying for us. He's praying for us. I want to move these out of the way so that we can all see. He's praying for us. He's a, and, and, and the reason why we believe what we believe is because of the word that was passed down to us from the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, and others. He says in verse 21, he says this, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, and even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And then he says this, and he says in verse 21, that they may be all one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He says in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. And so what Jesus is saying, second essential, is unity. Unity. The word unity means to set as a part. Set as a part. So sanctity or sanctify means to be set apart. But unity is the idea of that we are set together as a part of something bigger. And he's saying, listen, I want them to be one. I want them to be perfected in unity. That's what he's telling us in verse 23. He says, I, I just want them to be perfected in unity. That's, what, that's the goal, be perfected in unity. And so the, the, the essential element to understanding God's purposes and God's plans for us is to have unity is to have unity. I can't think of a time in my, in my life and my time in, ch in, in church world and ministry where we've lacked so much unity, 
So much discord. So much divide. So much conflict. So much division. So many different areas of which people are, you know, have sharing their opinions and their points of views and, and it just created rifts within the church. And Jesus is praying 2,000 years ago, listen, Father, there's going to be times in history, there's going to be times where the, where the church is going to be, they're going to, they're going to want to be divided and they're going to want to have, bring about discord and they're going to want to you know, fight and argue over silly things. And, and he said, listen, Father, I just pray that they're perfected in unity. Father, I pray to understand and to truly know that what, what you have for them and, and truly know what it means to grow in you, God. I just pray that they are unified together. That's the prayer. And that's the hope. That's the hope for all of us. The hope for all of us is to say, hey, listen, I can't do this alone. I can't do this by myself. That I'm just a part of something bigger. I just play a part in something and I can't meet this need by myself. We need each other. We need each other. And Jesus' prayer was simply that. Simply that. He says, that, and, and, the, and the reason was, because listen, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Your and I, our unity is contingent, it hinges on the fact that people will see so that the world may know that God sent his son who loved them, who loved them. The world needs to know. And the world needs to know it by because you sanctify yourself in truth. And the world needs to know when we unify together. Unity, unity, so important. So the question I guess I want to just leave you is, is, is this. Who do you need to reunite with? Who, who do you need to connect with that you've had some issues with over the past year? Who do you need to reach out to? Not, not them, wait, waiting for them to reach out to you, but who do you need to reach out to to say, listen, listen, our mission and our calling and God sent us into this world with a greater purpose and a greater you know, mission in mind. And, and, and I I'm just, I'm just want you to know that, man, I need you and you need me and we need each other to stay united so that the world can know that, that Jesus was sent and that Jesus loves them too. And he sees that by our body unified together. So who, who do you need to connect to? Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to give and offer forgiveness? As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way in Colossians 3. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, which is those who call themselves Jesus followers, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, then he goes on to say, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And he says this, put on, beyond all these things, put on love, which is what? Which is the perfect bond of unity. Who do you need to love? 
Who do you need to love that you haven't really loved well in these past few months? Because unity is so important, so important to the world seeing Jesus and his love. Let's pray. Father, we are set apart of this world. And we are sanctified in your truth. But we are also sent into this world. And we're a part of something bigger than us. We're a part of something bigger than our motives or opinions, intentions, biases. We're part of something bigger than that. And right now in this world and in our culture, the world needs to see some unity. And they should see it in us. That the commonality that we all have is, is you. It's you. And we're just connected to you. And we're taking you, your truth, the word, into our world. So that the people can see, the world can see that there's a better alternative, a better place, a better purpose. God, I pray, Lord, that we live out these two essentials of knowing your plan, sanctity, set apart, and unity, that we are set together as a part of something bigger than us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.